Industrial Security Podcast with Andrew Ginter and Nate Nelson. Sponsored by Waterfall Security Solutions. Welcome, everybody, to the Industrial Security Podcast. My name is Nate Nelson. I'm sitting with Andrew Ginter, Vice President of Industrial Security at Waterfall Security Solutions. He is going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm very well, Nate. Our guest today is Jens Wiesner. He is the head of section at Bundesamversicherheit in der Informationstechnik, uh, which is German for... Uh, the Federal Office for Information Security, analogous vaguely in the industrial security space to uh, the work that the, the DHS does in the United States. Our topic today is Malcolm, a new tool for OT network visibility. Let's head over to your talk with Jens. Hello, Jens. Hello, Andrew. So let's start at the beginning. Um, you know, our topic is visibility into OT networks. Where does this come from? How's, how are you involved? How's the BSI involved in the topic? We often see the issue in OT networks that operators have no, no, no visibility into the networks. Attackers are there. They're there for a long time. And nobody sees them. Nobody is reacting to them because they have no tools. They have no people looking into that. And why should they? Because most operators in OT, in the production network, in critical infrastructures, they have their their mission. They have a different mission. They don't have to look into log files or um, should be concerned about security, but produce their critical services. Have to focus on that. On the other hand, this mindset leads to a blind spot. A huge blind spot and I'm trying to address this blind spot by this talk by talking to German operators trying to educate them trying to figure out what what you could do about um, incentivizing the the view into your network <laughs> Now, maybe this has more to do with his phrasing than the actual idea, but Andrew, do you know what he means by incentivizing the view into your network? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, I think there's two levels of, of answer there. Um, what I understood when I heard Jens use the word incentivizing was encouraging. He wants to encourage owners and operators and, and the practitioners at those sites to uh, look under the hood. I mean, he talked about these people being blind to what's happening. Too often you look at a network and what do you see? Well, you see wires connecting computers to switches. You can see what endpoints are connected by the network, but can we see what's inside the wire? Well, no. Can we see what's happening inside the computer? That what software is running, is it the same software as yesterday? Is what's happening in the wire the same as yesterday? Has something changed? Was it supposed to change? All of these, these uh, insights are insights that have benefits, not just for security, because sometimes when something changes, it means something malicious is happening. But it has benefits for operations, because if something changes, we want to know, is that supposed to have changed? Or did we just make a mistake that's going to that's gonna bite us in terms of downtime in a couple of hours? And so the, the, that, that's sort of the second level to the, the, the question is, I think he wants to encourage uh, 
people to look under the hood because there's benefits to them for operations. That's the encouragement. He wants to you know, make that case that you can improve your operation by looking under the hood. And of course, his uh, you know, second goal, naturally, as you know, part of the Office for Information Security, is if we have that visibility, we can also derive security benefits from that visibility. What I hear is that you're saying uh, monitoring and awareness is important. I thought, though, that most um, industrial enterprises had some kind of monitoring set up on their IT networks, that their OT networks are generally only reachable through the IT networks. Um, is that not at least part of the solution? Um, you know, we're, 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 we're going we're, we're gonna to move into OT monitoring, OT visibility, um, but you know, it, 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 does the IT not play into this somehow? If you look into critical infrastructures, for example, the IT network is mostly a small part of the whole enterprise on the one hand and is not, if an attacker goes for an OT network, he's usually skilled, he has usually uh, some some more in-depth knowledge and he is able to circumvent IT monitoring systems. And he's using tools, he's using protocols, IT systems are usually not focusing on are you are using very strange things and the other thing is that remote access and with the vast digitization with internet of things industrial 4.0 it it moves on the interconnections between the it and the ot get blurred they get there are more systems talking to each other more data being exchanged the the idea of a single perimeter which could be um, protected via a firewall is a nice thought but the firewall is there there are more and more holes within this firewall and it gets even more difficult to to monitor it, to to plug the holes or to, to make them so narrow that no one slips through. So my thinking is that an attacker which sufficient time and energy and money will come into the OT network. Being there is great because then he's not being watched. You will see him when it's too late, when something stops and you need... and compared from the IT to the OT network. The OT network is more or less deterministic and it's easier, much easier to monitor than an IT network. So my thinking is you could you, you could find this guy once he's there and doing and changing stuff. If he's just sleeping, if he's already in the firmware, you don't see this, these people. But the, trying to access critical systems should be monitored and should be visible. Andrew, how about a quick summary of what we've covered thus far? Sure. I mean, I, Jens gave a lot of detail, but I sort of heard two themes in that detail. Uh, one is the, the, the basic theme that nothing is secure. It doesn't matter how secure we are, how much technology or process we've deployed. It's always possible to imagine an attack sophisticated enough to defeat what we've deployed. And so it's vital that one of the secondary security measures we have in place is monitoring of hosts and networks. Um, you know, this way, if someone ever gets in, we at least have a, a fighting chance of detecting and responding to that intrusion. And the second theme, I mean, he used the term remote access, but then he talked a lot about connectivity. I think the theme he was getting at is 
you know, what we've observed in the last 40 years is steadily increased connectivity for everything, including industrial control systems. And every kind of connection is a potential attack. Every message that enters a control system is causing a CPU in the control system to execute instructions that it would not otherwise have executed. And those instructions could be legitimate instructions. They could be causing a malfunction. You know, every connection is potentially an attack vector. And with the steadily increasing connectivity, we're seeing a steadily increased opportunity for attack and a steadily increased imperative for security, including uh, security monitoring mechanisms. Okay, now we're going to switch gears a bit. Andrew, your next question set for Jens was on a topic a little bit different, correct? That's right. Uh, I heard him uh, mention the Industrial Internet of Things, and I thought, hey, I've got, I've got some questions about that. I've got a representative of you know, a, a government agency who's, who's very involved in industrial cybersecurity. So I, I took him down a bit, a, a bit of a chan- tangent for the next couple of questions. Now, it's not really related to visibility, but something you said just that struck me. I mean, we're here at the, the DHS, ICS, JWG. Um, you know, people are talking about the industrial Internet of Things is coming. They're talking about vendors. You know, a concern I've had for some time is that the trend is accelerating. More and more vendors are offering remote monitoring, predictive maintenance services. More and more end users are taking advantage of this. They're very attractive services. It's, you know, the vendors are the experts on their equipment, and we want the experts looking after the equipment we've purchased at our site. So we pay the vendors to do this. So now, you know, we have, I'm guessing in a handful of years, we're going to see large industrial sites with connections to at least 10 or 20 or 30 different vendors, continuous VPN connections right through six layers of firewall straight out to the cloud. Some of these vendors are going to be well defended. Some of them are going to be poorly defended. Compromise a poorly defended vendor, and now you, you, know, you can pivot through that vendor into their hundreds or sometimes thousands of VPNs right into the PLC layer in you know, thousands of, of, of industrial sites. Is this something the, the, the BSI is looking at? Is this something that you're, you're, you're doing something about? Absolutely. So the, the question is of scalability and of, well, let's go back two, two steps. Um, it will get more expensive not to have VPN for remote access because then if some, something goes wrong, if the machine stops, uh, if you need support on site, they will have to drive on site, have to determine, have to figure out the reason, have then to get the spare part, the replacement part for that. So it will get more expensive not to have VPN. So VPN and the interconnectivity will be a driving factor here. And we identified this as a topic of uh, further investigation and are are doing some investigative work into this um, VPN itself, in the devices, and the connection server. So you're looking into it. Can you give us just a little more detail? What are you looking into? What what questions are you asking? Some of the devices establishing the VPN connection are fairly old, are sometimes updated, sometimes not updated, prone to downgrade attacks, um, same goes for the handshake server where the connections are uh, connected and having this as a central having having these handshake servers as a 
focal point or as a point where you can maximize the impact we're going to look into these as well doing hopefully uh, in-depth analysis of the algorithms used of the cipher suites and of the of the failover things they implement andrew he mentioned a term i'm not totally familiar with what is a downgrade attack he didn't explain it but i think that's a kind of attack on crypto systems if you have a you know an encrypted connection to a website or an uh, uh, you know an, an ssh secure shell encrypted connection or any other kind of encrypted connection these encryption protocols are there's versions of them and the older versions tend to be much less secure than the newest versions and uh so a lot of a lot of times, uh, if you're dealing with equipment that has, it might have all the latest security updates in it, but it hasn't been configured in a while. You haven't looked at security for a while. Often the settings on the the crypto system, the crypto uh, subsystem, uh, might still say allow version 1 and 1.1 and 1.2 and 2 and 3. And really, all you should be allowing is 3. You should be forbidding any kind of connection to be negotiated at a level layer one or layer two version and um, the a downgrade attack is one that deceives a system into using weak encryption for a connection so that you can sniff passwords and such and log in and, and do nasties the you know what i what i heard generally in terms of the answer from from gents regarding uh, the industrial internet is that yeah uh, it is an issue the government in germany is looking into it his department is looking into it and what i heard him say is that the first step that they're looking at is the strength of these crypto systems i mean i asked him about uh, an attack that pivots through a poorly defended vendor and uh, he's saying uh, you know he didn't use these words but he he answered in terms of crypto systems and so i'm i'm interpreting his answer as yes but you don't even have to do that if you got a weak crypto system. So the, the, the first step is to make sure the crypto out to the cloud is robust from these industrial devices. And then the second step will be, now let's figure out what to do about your fancier pivoting attacks. And what's the next subject you covered with Jens? We came back to uh, the, the OT visibility and we're leading into the, uh, the Malcolm, the new tool that he's going to be telling us about. Let's listen in. Well, thanks for that. Uh, um, you know, was a bit of a side trip. Um, let's come back to the topic here, which is which is visibility into OT systems. Um, you, you've talked about the problem. Can you talk about the solution? What what are you seeing that people are doing to solve this problem? How are they doing that? I saw at only one company really doing a solution, which was not a company but a nuclear plant, and they were tasked of doing that of reviewing all the log files every day, but. Being a small and medium enterprise, being a municipal waterworks, you can't, you simply can't do that. And to incentivize the view into the OT network, one could generate information which helps you run your business. Meaning, who is looking into um, the load of the traffic on the network? For example, if backups are running. You might get into trouble if too many backups are are closing are are, are filling up um, the network, and you you uh, and some systems trip at a time and you don't know why this happens. Most always at the same day of the week, it helps you clear your network 
of unwanted um, traffic, of unwanted um, services which are still in use, which could identify potential issues, but also just to reduce the attack surface. Having this visibility into the network, it could provide your information about changes, information about um, about things that were about some traffic which was not there like before. And um, if you see, it, it, I don't want the full scale, full blown seam solution with all logging functions. Sometimes a simple syslog server is enough to push information to and to get to gather some kind of rudimentary information. It's not really something that you need to spend thousands of dollars on it. You, you need an old computer, you need enable syslog, Linux distro enable syslog, put, this, put the IP of the server in the syslog of the devices, of the controllers. Yes, this will generate additional traffic. You have to be careful here. But And then just review the log files. So it's at the beginning, I said, as when we started, I said, you don't want to review all the log files all the time, but you need to do it once just to have some baseline. You need to do baselining, but once you have the baseline, it's quite easy to figure out why might the system not behave like I expected to or like I wanted to. So Jens is talking here about, I think, about monitoring hosts because he's talking about syslog, and this is typically something that hosts or, you know, sometimes network switches will, will give you syslog as well, give you a degree of insight into what's happening on the network, not the actual packets, but, you know, maybe monitor connections or, uh, you know, physical connections of equipment into the switch. Um, but most of, of syslog is insight into hosts. And what he's talking about is saying, you know, what I heard is is it's pretty easy to tell a host, especially a Unix host, to send syslog to a, a central site where you can aggregate this stuff and look at it all. So you can see all of your, your, your syslogs from all of your hosts in one place. Windows doesn't produce syslog by default, but you know it's easy to get a little plug-in that'll turn Windows logs into syslog. What do you do with all this? What good is having a central bunch of syslog? Well, he talked about getting a baseline. What does that mean? Well, it could mean that a person reads a month's worth of syslog and says, I guess this is normal. Let me figure out what's normal here. Let me try and understand this. It takes a long time. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's labor intensive. And then when would you do this again? I don't know, once a month for a day, look at a day's syslog. I don't know. It, it's, it's, a, it's a costly process. I mean, this is why people buy SEMS to, to automate this. But uh, if I may give just one example, uh, you know, it's crude, but he's talking about low tech here. He's talking about organizations that may not be able to afford a SEM and a central operations center, um, a security operations center, rather. Um, so here's an example. Back, you know, when I was working for a small organization, I won't name names, um, you know, we had maybe 20 people in an office and that was it. And you know, we had to do something about security. So yeah, we turned on all of the syslog logging we could, and we dumped it all into a central place. Well, now what? You know, now we have large files building up here. So what I did was I wrote a little script that said, uh, let me personally look at the first line in the syslog. That seems normal. I don't ever want to see that line again. And I would put in the script, um, create a copy of the syslog file without 
all of those lines and put a, a string that matches those lines. Do this again for the next line. Work on through until I discover something that I go, hey, that's not supposed to be happening. There's a hardware failure brewing on that machine over there. That's the kind of thing I do want to see. And so what I did was produced a script that, uh, you know, was just one line of, of command after another saying, produce a new copy of the syslog file without this. Now do it without that. And I'd without all of the normal stuff, leaving the abnormal. I would run this script once a week or once a day, and I would get eight messages out of it and go either these are normal, put them in the script, or, you know, something bad has happened. Let's go figure it out. And you can do this one of two ways. You can either get rid of everything you know is normal and look at what's left, or you can figure out what's not normal and say, just give me that. The problem with that is if you do that second thing, you can only produce not what's, what's not normal that you've seen before. You don't get sort of the leftovers, the new stuff. And so the approach I took was, you know, it's a very, it's a crude, it's a low-tech way to automate uh, log analysis and let you look manually at, at uh, what's different. Okay, so you've talked about, um, you know, gathering syslog and at least looking through them once or, you know, presumably at long intervals to, to, to you know, be aware of what's happening on the system. You also talked about monitoring traffic. Um, is there, you know, if, if a SEM is not what you're thinking of, is there a tool, is there a, a tool set that, that you're thinking of that would give you these insights? Yes, this tool set exists. And it's made public by Idaho National Labs. It's called Malcolm. And I'm doing a little bit of advertisement for them because I personally think it's a great initiative. Malcolm is... At the, it's it's not uh, it's not a product. You need to put someone there, um, put a, a week's work into it to really figure out how it works. And you need some. It has some hardware requirements which are not so easily met. But it's it's an easy step to play with it. To to f once you get curious, once you get um, someone um, looking into it, you will find very interesting things. If you just buy a product, it's like driving a car against um, building your own car or repairing your own car, having the ability to repair this. So it's it's a totally different approach, in my opinion, if you are just the driver or if you have the knowledge to change it. I admit I've never heard of this tool, so you know I'm intrigued. Uh, you said spend some time to come up to speed on it and you'll find lots of interesting things. Can you give me some examples of interesting things? Absolutely. So Malcolm is based on the ALK stack, which is Elasticsearch, um, Logstash, and Kibana, and has extensions for OT built in, meaning you see a graphical view of your network. You see which device is talking with, with which device. You see also... Um, there's a identification based on the MAC address of the devices, but you can add additional information on them. And this, it can give you down to the to the single bit of the network traffic everything. But you can also see NetFlow data, and you can see um, anomalies if you configure it right. At the moment, as I said, it's very it's it's not a full product. It's not working there, but it gives you the ability to play around with it. And it's, um, if you're familiar, it's a Docker container. 
it's not difficult to set up. You just need a Linux, you need 32 gig of RAM, 16 might work, but not so good. And that's more or less it. And it's a git pull and then install and you're done. So Gents dropped a lot of buzzwords there. Let me go through a few of these um, in case not everyone knows all of the words. Um, he said Elasticsearch framework. Um, I don't know much about it, but what little I know is that I think it's most of a sim. This is a, uh, a technology, it's an open source technology that uh, analyzes logs that does roughly, I think, the kind of thing that I talked about, which is figure out what's normal and tell me if anything unusual happens. Uh, it uh, So he also mentioned um, bits in packets versus NetFlow. The bits in packets are, you know, the, what he's saying is that the, the, the user interface on the tool can show you individual packets. If you want to drill down to the deep, deep, dark, uh, you know, binary representations, it'll show you the entire packet if that's what you want. Most people don't. Most people want higher level information. So NetFlow, he mentioned, is a, an example of higher level information. It is statistics about different kinds of packets on the network, different kinds of connections on the network. And uh, these statistics can tell you, um, you know, that's funny. There's way more of this happening today than there ever has been on the network before. And that's a kind of anomaly that you might want to investigate. Uh, he also mentioned Docker containers. Docker is a an open source uh, project that lets you... Uh, it's, I mean, it's a container. It It's basically a lightweight virtual machine. It's not all of a virtual machine. It's just a bunch of the file system stuff. Um, what does that mean? It means if you download a Docker container from, let's say, GitHub, you can put it on one of your Linux boxes and just start running it. And it'll work. You don't have to install a lot of software. You don't have to, to, to build a lot of stuff. It, it's sort of a... My understanding is that it's kind of a running image. So, uh, and, and GitHub, by the way, is a, you know the, a popular repository for, for open source projects. So when he said do a GitHub install, it'll, you know, you do that command and it'll pull everything relevant from GitHub and install it on, on your machine. Um, so that's just sort of, you know, some background. We'll, we'll you know, get back to, to, to the interview here. That agrees with, uh, you know, my own experience what i heard you say is uh these are tools that give visibility into networks in my own experience um when we give the engineers the operators of the networks visibility into the networks they see things you know these people know how the system is supposed to be working and often when this you know the wire sitting there that's a wire we can't see the bits once we can see the bits they can look at the bits and they can say just a minute that's not supposed to be happening. And, you know, sometimes it's a nasty in there that's not supposed to be in there. More often, it's just the system is not working the way the engineer thought they'd configured it. And now that they have the visibility, they can fix this system that they, you know, that, that you know, prevent future malfunctions. Is this when you, you know, when you're talking about benefits and incentives, is, is this what you're what you're thinking of? Absolutely. So my thinking coming from a federal office for information security is identify bad guys, identify attacks. But the real benefit for the operator is having this visibility to um, to increase the uptime, to reduce unwanted stops of the machine, of the facility. And the identifying attacks is, is a positive benefit, but it's not the main incentive here. 
for me as Federal Office for Information Security, again, we see very few attacks because we need asset owners to report it to us. If they don't see it, they don't do it. And if we help them getting more visibility, they might report more. And that's my goal, to go there. Malcolm is open source. I remember another tool, uh, Sophia, that started as open, uh, it didn't start as open source, it started as a research project at, at Idaho National Labs. Uh, it was spun off to Next Defense, which was recently purchased by Dragos. Um, uh, but I remember back in the day, the, the, uh, the DHS, Idaho National Labs, considered making Sophia an open source project. And back then, now this was five years ago, the feedback they got from industry was, we don't want open source. We don't want source code. We want to buy a solution from a vendor, and if there's any kind of problem, we want to pay support to the vendor. If there's any kind of problem with the solution, we want to hold the vendor's feet to the fire so they fix the problem. We don't want to be in the business of fixing code. Um, if Malcolm is open source, you know, that was, that was a North American experience. Is it different in Germany? I, you know, are, are people adopting this? So the hesitance of using open source product in Germany is not so high. And we've got um, examples of working solutions. So you could um, make it open source and still be a, make a business around it. If you think of OpenVAS, for example, which is a vulnerability scanner, an open source vulnerability scanner, There's a German company called Greenbone who's who is actively developing it, supporting it, and they make their money by um, implementing it in the field for a special customer, customizing it, but then releasing it back to the public. So we have examples of working solutions. And for me, given the history of Sophia, it is, um, well, did it turn out? Was it really used in such a vast amount of numbers? Andrew is shaking his head. I don't know. Um, I don't know because I was in Germany. I was not able to acquire this product. And um, we, we as BSI find Malcolm a great idea and are committed to supporting it. And if we make this a, on a broader base, um, then we can really do something good for a community and not as a single product which is with like 20 other which are already on the market. At the BSI, we have made, um, we've got a good history with open source products and we are encouraging everybody who's interested in getting more visibility to have a look into Malcolm. What Jens just said recalls for me this analogy he gave earlier of buying a car versus building your own car. And you know, at the time when, when he said this, I was thinking to myself, unless you really need to build your own car, or you really like to, why wouldn't you just buy a, a pre-built car? And I guess now he sort of answered that question for us that, you know, if there are 20 other solutions on the market that are all pretty much similar, then customization that comes with uh, building your own car may be helpful to you. I think that's one of his points is that, you know, there, there's a lot of solutions out there, but um, none of them are, are perhaps uh, adapted to the kinds of uh, customers that, that the BSI is serving. Um, I think he made a second point, and that is that uh, he, he gave the example of OpenVAS. This is an open source 
product, but a German company continues to develop it and uh, they, you know, they, they support it. They get paid by customers to enhance it and to keep it working, basically. You know, the, the, uh, the holding, holding a vendor's feet to the fire analogy I gave um, works here because you have a vendor that you're paying to, to keep the thing working. Um, most industrial vendor, industrial owners and operators, in my experience, don't want to be out there writing code. They want to pay someone else to do that. But I think the point he made is that, you know, the, the open source ecosystem has evolved since Sophia and, you know, is at a point where you can pay people to support these products and to, you know, give you commercial grade support for the products. The other, I think the other important point he made is that the BSI is committed to Malcolm and is going to be presumably investing in Malcolm. And uh, this is another sort of log on the fire of you can get high quality commercial grade product um, when you've got that level of combination of, you know, hopefully uh, commercial and certainly government support. Can you give us an example of using Malcolm and, you know, concrete benefits? So um, as a federal office, we are bound to some confidentiality. But I presume in case of Triton Trices, if someone would have looked at the output, they should have seen some blinking lights. They should have seen a Christmas tree of things going on which would not have been supposed to be there so I, as I said it's we don't have the pcaps we, we can't feed it and replay it and, and see how it looks but we are testing it at other facilities and it's it's obvious that if something's going or wrong or if someone is playing with the network you see it can you tell me some of the big picture we've, we've talked about some of the features of Malcolm where does it fit in the big picture of defense? It, it, uh, you know, it's providing visibility into operations. Um, does it have a user interface? Does it produce alerts? Does it manage alerts? Is it a SEM? Does it feed a SEM? How, where does it fit in sort of the ecosystem? So with Elasticsearch as, as a back engine, you can use it as a SIM easily. It's, um, it produces alerts. It has... Um, a lot of passive capabilities, um, but it's not. If you compare it with a professional, with a commercial sim, it is. Um, you you don't get um, you don't have agents on PCs running, feeding you constantly about inform information. There, it's really focused on network traffic. It's very narrowly focused on network traffic. It has a GUI and everything you expect. <laughs> A couple of things there. Um, the the Elastic Search again is basically a SEM, so it it uh, manages log files and uh, you know tells you when unusual things are happening. Um, the the tool can also produce alerts, not just consume them with uh, with Elastic Search, so it can be feeding a SEM as well. But it, I think the the keyword there was was passive. Um, he said that there's not agents, which are you know software installed on machines all over the network, watching what's happening on the machine. Um, the the machines are mostly left alone. That's what that's what passive means. It means you're looking at it from the outside. And he said it's very focused on the network. But you know the uh, 
what I take my what I understand him to have said is that it's focused yes on looking at bits and bytes in the network, looking at the packets and the the tr- patterns of traffic, but he's also talked a lot about syslog, and syslog comes across the network. So I think. I think what I heard here is that it sits on the network, it watches the network, it watches stuff coming across the network, like syslog, it analyzes the syslog. Um, that's what it does, as opposed to other solutions that install themselves on every machine on the network so they can watch the machine more closely, or that insert themselves into the network so they can manage traffic, not just watch traffic. So um, that's my understanding is, you know, with a lot of these industrial systems, people are reluctant to change the, the the system. They don't want to stick stuff into the network that's going to uh, potentially block certain traffic because that traffic might be essential. They don't have a deep understanding of what traffic is and is not essential. So I think what he's saying is that this is a good fit for industrial systems because it sits on the outside. You send it stuff, whatever you feel like sending it, it watches the uh, the packets on the network. You don't, in a sense, you you hardly know it's there. This, I think, is the the, the value prop that, that he's trying to describe. Do you have any any parting thoughts for our listeners on on this topic? So, if you like playing around, if you have some time to spare, hardware you can use, Malcolm, just try it. Give it a try, and see where it takes you. I personally would love to get some feedback to hear um, comments on it, and. If it's if my very positive approach um, fits your needs, or if you say that's no, that that's not what I expect or what I ever wanted here, I, I can't say it from my office. I'm in a ivory tower. I I just look very far and I see interesting things. But is it really viable for you? I have no idea. So I would love to hear back. So that was Jens on on Malcolm. Um, he is asking for people to try it out and send him feedback. If you'd like to find Malcolm, uh, it's on GitHub. Uh, you can go to Google and Google GitHub Malcolm M A L C O L M and uh, security, and you'll find you'll find it. Uh, you know, it'll have it's the branch that that has Idaho National Labs in the uh, in the URL. Uh, so download it and, and give Jens some feedback. If you want to reach Jens, he's on LinkedIn. If you're not connected enough to, to reach him on LinkedIn, just reach out to me and I'll get you connected to him. Now, Andrew, before we go, something I forgot to ask. Um, does Malcolm stand for anything? Did some guy named Malcolm invent this tool? Um, short answer is I don't know. Um, long answer is uh, be nice to find out. Um, if anybody does know, uh, drop a note to me or to you know a comment on LinkedIn or Twitter, and uh, let's find out. On that note, that's it for Jens Wiesner. Thanks to him for sitting down with you, and thank you, Andrew, for sitting down with me. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Nate. This has been the Industrial Security Podcast. We'll catch you all next time. 